When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of THN on the O. As always, I'm your host, Tony Ferrari, and with me is my bald brother, Brock Otten. How are you doing today, Brock? Good, Tony. How are you doing, man? Not too bad. We've got a jam-packed episode, so let's get right to it. News of the week, I think the first thing we should cover is Dom DiVincentis winning the Jim Rutherford Trophy for the best goaltender in the OHL with Brochu and Lennox tied for second. What was kind of your quick take on, on DiVincentis winning, and do you think he deserved it? Yeah, well-deserved. Uh, I think we've talked about this a few times during the podcast run, and he was the best goaltender in the OHL this year, hands down. Start to finish, it was all the Dom DiVincentis show. And, yeah, no arguments there. I think they got it right. Yeah, I agree with you. And we'll get into it a little bit later. But DiVincentis has kind of been my guy all year for the top goaltender of the, of the OHL. But speaking of best players in the OHL, Matt Maggio signed his entry-level deal with the Islanders. What do you think he needs to do to kind of take that next step to actually be a legitimate pro prospect next year going forward? Yeah, actually, when we had Matt on the show, I think he really hit the nail on the head. I think he his evaluation of his own game was perfect. I think it's about improving his defensive consistency. It's about improving his first-step quickness. I think he's a good overall skater. I think he moves east-west really well. I think the agility and edge work is a highlight of his game, but that sort of like first-step acceleration is definitely going to need to improve. And just the strength component, getting into the middle um, at the pro level is going to be a little bit more difficult for him. So, And those were things that he highlighted on his podcast appearance with us. So I think he really understands what he needs to do, and I think that gives him a good chance of doing that and achieving it. Yeah, I, I think he's got a pretty good career in front of him. I think it's going to be interesting to see him in the AHL next year and then taking steps towards the NHL the next couple uh, but we do have some play- playoff series that are going on right now in the OHL. The conference finals are going down. And London's out to a big 2 nothing. well, as big as a 2 nothing league can get. But one big factor is Brett Brochu is listed as day-to-day. What could that mean for the goaltending situation in London? Yeah, him having to come out of game two, uh, that's definitely scary for, for London management, for London players. Yeah, a Bowen is, has been great as a backup this year to Brochu. I know that they're going to have a lot of confidence in him and he obviously finished off game two really well, but Brett Brochu is one of the best and most experienced goaltenders in the OHL. That's a major advantage for the Knights and he's been really good in the playoffs. And that is the type of thing that if he misses significant time can tip the balance in Sarnia's favor. And I, I still think this is going to be a really close series, uh, I don't think it's going to be a, a four nothing win. I mean, it maybe it could be. A, I'd be shocked if it is. But that's definitely the type of injury that can really swing the momentum, in my opinion. Yeah, I think we talked about it at the start of the playoffs. I thought that the big advantage London had was they had two really good goalies. And I think Bowen's been very, very good throughout the season. And I think we talked about possibly a handing down of the guard, a passing of the torch. Could this injury be that? I don't think so, but it's going to be interesting to see how much run Bowen gets and, and how long Brochu is going to be out. Hopefully it's not too long because that is going to be a really good series between Sarnia and London. The other series is tied up 1-1. What have you thought about that series real quick? Yeah, it's kind of gone how I expected it to be. It's It's been a tightly contested battle. Um, I think 
both teams are bringing physicality. Both teams are are playing the exact way they, that we thought they would, that we talked about when we previewed the series last week, right? So um, that one is going to be probably six or seven. I would guess even seven. And I think that that probably gives maybe North Bay an advantage with, with that home ice. Um, but we'll see how it all turns out. Yeah, and uh, the game set, uh, game three of both those series, but the London Knights versus the the Sarnia Sting and the North Bay Battalion versus Peter Repeats go down tonight. So we'll see what the uh, the so when you're listening to this, you'll see what the outcomes of those games are before we do right now. But let's move on to Canada's U18 team winning the bronze medal at the tournament, despite kind of an up and down tournament overall. Yeah, I, I think it's a good showing. Anytime Canada can medal at the U18s when they're not bringing their absolute very best. I think it's an impressive showing. You look at Sweden, Finland, the U.S. These are teams that are competing in the five nations, the four nations. They're they're playing all year together at various points. Uh, for the U.S., it's all year for two years, right? And Canada coming in and putting that team together and playing well or well enough to medal anyway is is impressive. Yeah, there were some moments that were not great. <laughs> Definitely the two games against Sweden. I mean, the second one. With Bjarnason going out, I feel like that was just a, a massive deflator. That was that was tough. That's a tough pill to swallow for their other players on that roster. And then not being able to score on two five-minute penalties, so two uh, five-minute majors, that's 10 minutes of power play time with no goals. Uh, that's tough. But overall, I would say it was a good tournament. Maybe not quite at the level that we expected given that the roster was one of the better ones on paper that Canada had rostered or, or fielded, I should say, in, in a few years. But uh, I don't know. What were your thoughts on Canada's performance, Tony? Yeah, I thought it was up and down. I think the forwards did their job for the most part. I thought Celebrini was obviously outstanding. You had guys that stood out like Cal Ritchie, Nick Lardis, Kerry, and stuff like that. Colby Barlow was good at times, especially as the tournament wore on. Um, in in that, that bronze medal game, I thought he was really good. But I think the big issue, and, and I thought Dag, whether it was Bjarnason or Daggle back there, I think they played really good in that. They, they were solid. They weren't outstanding, but they were solid. I think the big flaw in Canada's structure in this, this tournament, which wasn't what I don't think you or I expected with the roster coming in, was that defense. Their defense was really porous. I just don't think any of the guys gelled. Individually, a lot of them were have very good skill. I think they're very good players. I don't think they meshed together, and I think that was the the, the kind of – the straw that broke the camel's back because they couldn't find the right mix on that back end. There were guys that kind of didn't stand out all that well and ended up kind of lowering their draft stock, I think, in the eyes of a lot of people. So I I think Canada had a good tournament. Anytime you medal at the U18s is a good time for Canada because, like you said, they don't bring their best. They bring their best to the Holinka. So it's good to see the medal. It wasn't the best tournament in the world. I thought they struggled with Sweden, obviously. Even the games against Slovakia, where they weren't the cleanest. And there were moments in every game that kind of gave you a little bit of pause. But at the end of the day, a bronze medal is a bronze medal, and you're pretty happy with that. But I think this segues perfectly into what we're going to do with for our three stars segment this week. And that's we're going to give out grades instead. I think we're going to look at the U18 rosters and some of the, the OHL players across the, the three ro- the, the rosters that, uh, in the tournament. And give out grades. So, Brock, why don't we start with you? Who's going to be your first player, and what grade do you give him? Yeah, first player I'm going to go with is Colby Barlow, and I'm giving him a B minus. I think he had a good tournament. I don't think he had a tournament maybe up to the expectations that you and I both had for him. I think that early on, 
he was getting a lot of chances. I would say throughout maybe the entire tournament, he was getting a lot of good scoring looks, but he just couldn't finish. I don't know if it was um, nerves. I, I don't think that was it. I, I think he just just struggled with finishing off some of the scoring chances that, that he was earning, right? And that'll happen. Uh, gripping the stick just a little bit too tight, just, just couldn't bury one. And, yeah, we saw a big goal after a bad penalty um, in that Bronzeville game, which was huge. But um, I thought he was really good defensively, actually. I, I really liked the way that Barlow forechecked. I liked the way that he backchecked. I thought that he was a standout there. I think that maybe some of his offensive struggles – brought down his grade uh, B minus it's solid average grade. Um, I don't think he was poor. I don't think he was excellent. I don't think it hurts his draft stock. I don't think it helps it. Uh, he was just Colby Barlow, basically. What about yeah, you? I mean, Who's your first one, Tony? I think it's all fair on, on the Colby Barlow front. My first one's Jacob Kromiak of the Slovakian team. I thought he was actually really, really good. A game of B plus, despite the fact that they don't have the one assist, uh, a, a defender that's eligible for the 2024 draft. So he's a little bit younger. He's a late 2005 birthday. But this kid was really, really good throughout this tournament. I thought he, he was really smart defensively. He understands that he's not the biggest guy. He's not going to go out there and finish a bunch of checks. But he leads with his stick. He plays good positionally. And then his transition game was absolutely outstanding. There were a number of times in, in the games that Slovakia played where he was rushing the puck up ice and being the catalyst offensively. And though he only got the one assist, he probably deserved at least a few more. And he had a couple of good offensive chances as a goal scorer as well. So I think this was a great tournament for him to build off of heading into his draft year next year. And I think that's going to be a name to watch out for as he plays for the Sudbury Wolves next year and, and kind of continues going on with this, this OHL career that he's starting to build up a, a pretty solid resume for so far. Yeah, I think you that's a, that's a great pick, honestly. And sometimes these 2024 guys with the late birthdays or any late birthday player sometimes gets a little bit forgotten about. So Chromiak is somebody that I think people who follow the OHL are going to have to really look at closely next year and, and not forget about him being possibly a prominent player for the Wolves. Um, my second player is is going to be Andrew Gibson. And I actually read the article that you just released today on sort of stock up, stock down on the U18s. And you mentioned the entire Canadian defense going down. And you even talked about that um, already on here. I would say the one guy whose stock I felt maybe just was level was Andrew Gibson. I thought he was our most consistent defender. Yeah. Um, he was really good in his own end. He was shot blocking. He was getting a stick in passing lanes. He was playing physical. I thought he was our most reliable defensive player. And I thought that there were some moments where he definitely struggled with his outlets, like you mentioned in the article, with getting him in his own zone. But I thought as the tournament went on, he started to gain a little bit of confidence in using his feet to clear the zone and, and was a lot better. And I, I think a perfect example of that was that game winner in the bronze medal game in overtime where he led that charge um, over the blue line that landed up being the Celebrini bronze medal winner, right? Uh, I think that he did enough in this tournament to, to really show, especially given his layoff towards the end of the year, he missed a lot of time. The CHL top prospects game, the really home stretch for, for the Greyhounds. He missed a lot of time and, and that tournament was big for him. I think for proving that he belongs in that like top 60 range for the draft this year. So I, yeah. my grade for him is a B plus, or I didn't even give his grade. So yeah, B plus, I'm going with Gibson. No, I agree with you on Gibson. I, I tried to stress in that article that him and Quentin Burns both had moments of really good play, and I think they were easily the best two Canadian defenders, and obviously Quentin ben Burns got hurt, and uh, it was out of the lineup towards the end of the tournament. But Gib Gibson was good. I think that's the thing. I think B plus is very fair for him. Uh, so moving on to my next guy, 
I had Cal Ritchie. I gave him an A minus. He it was really good to start the tournament. He faded a little bit, had six points in the seven games. But this was a guy that I think needed to have a big tournament, and he, he did. I think he followed through with the kind of promise that he he showed throughout the year and towards the end of the year. Continued a strong second half for after having a good year with Oshawa towards the end of the year. But this was a guy that I think a lot of people had questions about of. Is he actually able to produce? Is he able to be a, a guy that's an offensive catalyst? Is he going to be able to play at the next level? Does he deserve top 20 discussion like he's been getting? And I think he showed he, he had a really good tournament. I think he was one of Canada's better forwards. Him and Macklin Celebrino played really well together when they played together. And I think at the end of the day, he went and did just about everything that you wanted him to do and maybe even a little bit more. And there were times, especially early in the tournament, when I thought Canada was really struggling, where he was really the only guy getting going. I thought... Uh, the first two or three games, he was probably their best player, maybe outside of Celebrini. And so I, I think with the A minus grade, I could have given him a B plus, but I thought he showed a lot better than I was expecting to see from him. Yeah, that's the exact grade I would have given Richie. He was so good down low in the offensive zone. Um, he was great on the four check and he just did. He had so many good plays in keeping the puck alive, especially behind the net, using his feet, using his hands to extend possession and that really benefited that line. I feel like he really drove possession more than maybe Celebrini did. And I think that's going to really impress NHL scouts. The only thing I would say maybe with Richie that he needs to clean up. And I think it was an issue in this tournament for him was his play through the neutral zone. I thought he had a lot of sloppy passes, a lot of just really honestly borderline poor decisions with the puck coming through the neutral zone. Just those like sloppy cross ice passes, some of them blind, um, and that was what I would say held his grade. If I was grading, I would have given him an A minus, but I think he could have been higher if not for maybe some of that transitional play, which has sort of been the weakness with Richie the last couple of years. My next guy, or my last guy, I should say, is Nick Lardis. And I'm going to go with a B minus as well for Nick Lardis. And um, I'm going to tell you why. I think that at the beginning of the tournament, he was really good. I thought that he was really good on the power play. I thought he was using his speed. And I think as the tournament sort of went on, I felt him playing a little bit more tentative, almost like reverting back to how he played with Peterborough. I think that he had a little bit of trouble getting to the net. I thought that he was losing some battles in the corners. I thought that he wasn't really getting himself in good scoring position, even on the power play. And then we saw him sort of, be pushed down the lineup as the tournament went on as well. He got to put in that third, uh, 13th forward spot, which is tough. Uh, I, I, I kind of like Barlow. I don't think Lardis helped his draft stock. I don't think he hurt it. Um, solid B minus good tournament. Not great. Um, probably could have been maybe utilized a little bit differently. I think I would have liked to see him play with, uh, different players than, than the coaching staff utilized him with. I think like, they kept trying to put him with Andrew Crystal, and I just didn't really like that fit, in my opinion, yeah. anyway. No, I agree with you. I think Lardis started out really good. I think if we're just grading the first few games, I thought, like with like I said, with Callum Murchie, he was one of their better players. I thought he was really good early in the tournament. He faded, like you said. So I think the B-minus is perfectly acceptable for him. With my last one, I, I, I have Kerry Terrence. Guy played for the United States team, one of the only non-NTW players that went there for that team at six points in seven games. It was a really good secondary score for that team. I thought he played really well with Oliver Moore when he played with them. I thought there was a, there was a time that he played with Will Smith and Ryan Leonard for a short period of time. He was really good there. And he played on their power play as well. I thought he was a very good addition to that U.S. team, pro- provided a lot of depth scoring. A game of B+, I think 
if he got a little bit more opportunity, if that top line wasn't quite as dominant as it was, he probably could have been a little bit more opportunistic offensively. But at the end of the day, I thought he had a really good tournament and the B plus I thought was well-deserved. Yeah. And that's a shift to the wing for him too, uh, which is tough. And I think he handled it really well. I agree with you. I think he had a really strong tournament, kind of one of those unsung heroes for, for the U S team. I thought he did well playing the net front on the power play. I thought that, um, he looked good on the forecheck. I thought he played well at both ends. He really complimented Oliver Moore well, tried to open up space for him to, to be able to use his speed. We didn't really get to see Trance use his speed all that much. He was kind of like a dump and chase possession F1 kind of guy, um, which is not normally a role you kind of see him in at the OHL level, but maybe that showed his versatility, right? Yeah, I thought he had a really good tournament overall. And like you said, it's being put in a situation where these guys have been playing together for the entire two years, basically, and then him coming in and, and just dropping in and trying to play with them was really difficult, but I thought he did a really good job. But let's move on from the U18s and look back at what we've talked about throughout the podcast history. I think looking back to the start of the year, we made a lot of predictions. We said a lot of things, and some of them were right, and some of them were very wrong. So let's start with early on in the podcast. We talked about some of the teams that were surprising early in the season, and you would say the Kingston Frontenacs, because they had a hot start, didn't quite make it work. But what was kind of your thinking back then, and how do you look back on it now? Yeah, my thinking back then was, wow, I didn't expect Kingston to be this good. Uh, both them and Mississauga got off to really hot starts in the East, and it was majorly surprising. Ivan Zagalov was one of the better goaltenders in the OHL uh, to start the first couple of months. They were playing really well as a team. They were gelling. Uh, they were getting good production out of some of their younger players. And then halfway through the year, some of the other teams in the East just kind of caught up, right? Peter Merrill made all those trades. North Bay um, really picked it up. Barry got Brent Clark back. And things went downhill very, very quickly for Kingston. And they kind of settled into that spot that we thought they'd be in when we did our season predictions, right? So... Um, yeah, that was sort of my thinking. Both them and Mississauga just weren't able to sustain uh, Kingston especially. And uh, so next thing that we wanted to look at was players or which teams and players specifically were disappointing, right? So we talked about Kingston being surprising players that were disappointing. And you had mentioned Kitchener and Barry. Now, one of those teams was, well, I guess both those teams were able to turn it around Slightly. What was your thinking at the time when you labeled them as disappointments? Well, I think the, the thing with Kitchener is I think coming into the season, both you and I were higher on them than most people were. And, and they started off really poorly. Even getting to the playoffs, I think we talked about it heading in. They never seemed to mesh despite all the talent that they had. And it just didn't seem to work out. And then they beat the Windsor Spitfires in four games and gave London a decent series in the second round. At the end of the day, sometimes you just have egg on your face and Looking back at the playoffs, this is one of those times for me. I think it's that we always said that team had talent. They just didn't seem to put it together right until they had to play my hometown team. So good on you, Kitchener. I'm proud of you guys. And uh, you had a good year at the end of the day. And then with Barry, I think they, they were just missing that element. And I think they got that obviously later in the season. Um, they they didn't lack they, they didn't have that pop, the the shine that you you thought they were gonna have. They ended up turning around having a very good season. But, yeah, that was a couple of times where uh, I look back on it and I go, eh, sometimes you're just wrong and, and, and you get the egg in the face. Yeah, the OHL is just oh, – CHL in general is one of the most difficult leagues to predict. 
Um, I feel like quite often those who cover the league, like you and I, end up with egg on our face because <laughs> t- you don't know who's being returned. You don't know what injuries are going to occur. You don't know who's going to take that step forward. You can predict it. You can be close. But a lot of the times we just end up falling flat. And, I mean, that's kind of the unpredictable nature of the CHL and junior hockey and and just junior hockey players is what makes covering the league exciting, in my opinion, right? If it were predictable and we could be right every single time, I don't think it would be as fun for us to cover or if we go to watch. No, I completely agree with you. It's a, it's a fun league. And one of the players that we thought we were really right on throughout the year was Michael Miso. Uh, we had the Is It Sustainable segment early in the year when he was absolutely tearing up the OHL and, and playing really well for Saginaw. And while the injury kind of prevented what could have been a record-breaking season, he still finished with one point, 1.24 points per game, which was higher than McDavid, higher than Tavares, higher than Shane Wright. Really kind of set the mark if you're looking at it from a, a, a rate basis, but he didn't get the record because of the injury. So do you think he would have gotten it without that injury? Yeah, I think he would have. I think we saw Saginaw struggle down the stretch with him out of the lineup, right? He, we saw how important he was, and then he returns for the playoffs. And, you know, Saginaw beats Flint. Saginaw has, has a good little run into the second round there on Misa's back and Zane Parekh's back. And I think that he would have had a, a real chance uh, of beating that record if he didn't get injured. It, obviously, we don't know for sure, but at that pace with that point-per-game percentage – uh, he was at 1.4 early in the year when we had talked about that and really only slipped to, to 1.24, um, was kind of <laughs> around the point per game mark for the second half. I think it would have happened. And I think that we have to label his season as, as a major, major success. I think definitely one of the best exceptional status seasons that we've seen, especially given how he helped Saginaw really get a, a good place in the OHL standings, which a lot of the times we don't see, right? These exceptional status players come on to the worst team in the league. And it's a few years before we start to see team success match individual success. And we already saw both with Misa this year. So um, I'm really excited to, to follow his career in the next few uh, in the OHL. Yeah, I, I think his season was really, really good. I think he doesn't get as much public love as the other guys because I think no one's expecting him to be McDavid. I think Shane Wright came in with a lot of hype, and he hasn't quite lived up to it yet, but he's still got tons of time to do that. I think Michael Mises' injury, the, just being off a little bit, kind of hurt him. But, man, this kid was so fun to watch throughout this year. I watched him live twice. He's really, really good. I, I think he's going to be fantastic. And I think he was, at the end of the day, he was a huge reason Saginaw was the team that ended up winning the Memorial Cup bid. So I think watching him next year, watching him lead that team to the Memorial Cup and Hopefully, like maybe trying to win it for the OHL, it's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you completely. So looking back, we also made some award predictions, and a lot of the awards are starting to trickle out now with the OHL regular season long forgotten, long past. We're we're into the conference finals now. So um, one of the major awards that we talked about was the Eddie Powers, which is the top scoring player in the OHL. And we had both mentioned Brennan Othman because he had gotten off to such a hot start and was looking like, I'm not going to say he looked like he was going to run away with the Eddie Powers and the scoring title, but he was definitely the pick that you and I said would sustain that. Again, that hashtag sustainable that we had used early in the season. So obviously Othman 
slid pretty significantly <laughs> down the scoring race. Kind of what happened there, Tony? What are you thinking? I think combined with the fact that there were some issues in Flint before he left, I think the fact that he went to a team that he wasn't quite comfortable with, he didn't mesh with in jail right away, and he just started getting comfortable with towards in the playoffs and everything. I think it was just a lot of things didn't go right for him. And we saw that kind of in the stat sheet. I think we we noticed the fact that this was a guy that we piped up all year for being a guy that would have a lot of points, uh, be a guy that's eligible for the red tail or uh, competing for the red tails and going for the MVP of the league and everything didn't end up doing it. I think, like I said, a lot went wrong for him, a trade mid season and not really kind of meshing with the same playing style of your new team, still figuring out his way and right up until the playoffs. And even still now it, it's going to be interesting to see where his kind of pro career and development go, because I think he's still a very, very good player. But I don't think either of us would have picked out Matt Maggio out of a out of out of the hat if we if we had. Yeah, it was funny. When looking back on that episode, we didn't mention Matthew Maggio at all. We did talk about Ty Voigt, who did spend some time near the top of of the OHL scoring lead. Um, we mentioned Michael Misa as like sort of like a dark horse. We looked at a bunch of other guys, but we did not talk about Matthew Maggio. So yeah, I mean, kudos to him for really taking that step forward. Now that was one we sort of got wrong. One of the ones that you got right was when we talked about the Jim Rutherford, which was just recently awarded to Dominic DiVincentis, as we said earlier in the show. And when we talked about that early on, I had mentioned Ben Goudreau as being still my pick. I felt like he was going to turn things around. And you know, I think Goudreau obviously did. He's had strong playoffs. But you had mentioned DiVincentis being your guy as – the top goalie early on and then you thought he'd sustain it so sort of what was your your thinking when when you mentioned that obviously a hot start helped but uh, i know you've been a pretty big fan of his even going back to his draft year too yeah i i just think he's a really guy a guy that gets really underrated i know josh tesler a guy that we both know from twitter is smart scouting he's always been a big fan of him and i know he tracks a lot of goalie stats and everything and even chance has always kind of ranked atop a lot of the goalie stats that he's tracked i think he's got good size he's got good mobility and he's got a great team in front of him and i think that was a big thing for me is having that that north bay team in front of him and knowing that he was going to get some wins that maybe he didn't always deserve while still being able to steal games when when the team doesn't deserve to win i think that was just a perfect formula for a guy like him to kind of take home the jim rutherford trophy and at the end of the day that's what he ended up doing. Was I super, super confident? Because I was a big fan of Brett Brochu. I was a big fan of Ben Goudreau. I think DiVincenzis was kind of a guy that I, I chose as being a bit more of a dark horse pick. But at the end of the day, is a really good pick at the in, that I made. But I, I'd be crazy if I was uh, saying that he was certainly 100% the guy for sure at the start of the year. Let's move on to our Eastern Conference predictions, though. We you had Barry as, as your Eastern Conference prediction. Obviously, they didn't get all the way there, but they had a really good season. What was kind of your your thinking on them? And do you think they they could have done it had a couple things broken the right way? Yeah, my thinking on them at the time was I think Brant Clark is going to get returned, and and he did, and he was a huge difference maker, and that really elevated their lineup to near elite status. Now what prevented them from taking that leap and, and beating North Bay in the playoffs? Well, health obviously was a, was a big factor. Um, Evan Veerling got injured, which was huge. I think personally that Barry made a mistake in not acquiring a few extra pieces. 
to put them over the top. You've got a guy like Grant Clark coming back. It's it's like found found gold, right? Like you weren't sure if he was going to come back. You knew if he did come back that you'd have a chance at a title. But yeah, okay, Brant Clark coming back is like the best move at the OHL trade deadline. But why not make a couple others? Why not add another offensive piece? Why not add another defensive piece? Why not really go for it, right? And I wonder if there's some regret there that if they had made an extra move, the loss of Veerling in the playoffs wouldn't have hurt as much, right? They would have had somebody step in there. They wouldn't have been felt. And that could have been the difference between you know, losing game seven and winning it, right? And at the end of the day, Brant Clark couldn't do it all himself. Um, and some of those OA players couldn't do it all themselves either. And uh, I do think that they missed the boat there. And I, I think that was... I think honestly a little bit disappointing that they didn't do more. And I, I know their fan base felt that way as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I think at the end of the day, when you, you have the opportunity to do it, to go and acquire another guy that, like they did and they don't do it, it's a missed opportunity. But a team that we kind of missed the opportunity to get on the bandwagon of early on in the year was the London Knights. And we both wrote them off. It was kind of a, a, a goofy thing for us, I think, at the end of the day, because the London Knights are a team that are always kind of a powerhouse team. They've always been able to kind of find their way to the top of the standings. And this year they managed to do it despite us not thinking they were able to, and not having the star power that they typically have. What was it that let you write them off? And, and do you think they can win the OHL championship at this point? I mean, you and I have been doing this for, for a while and they were at the bottom of the standings and we were talking about Brochu being dealt. We were talking about the full rebuild and how London never has a full rebuild and how surprising it was. And now we look silly because yeah, London never has a full rebuild because they're able to do things like this. Their development model is just so good. And, and we saw that this year, right? They've got a young team yet here they are two wins away from an OHL championship visit, right? A, a date with either North Bay or Peterborough. And if you had asked you or I that within the first couple months, I think we would have said, absolutely not. This team is too young. This team is inexperienced. This team just doesn't have a true difference maker. They're a very different London team than we are used to, right? Like we're used to Dale Hunter riding that first power play unit for two minutes, uh, three London Knights, on the same line being in the top five at OHL scoring, right? Like that's a powerhouse typical London team. And that wasn't what we got this year. And I think it threw both you and I for a bit of a loop, right? It's like, okay, this isn't the London Knights that we're used to. Maybe it is time to rebuild. And boy, were we wrong, right? Like this team has turned it around. And I think it's just a, it's a testament to Dale Hunter. It's a testament to the coaching staff there. It's a testament to, how they run their organization and, and the development they get from their players and how much those players have improved over the course of the year. It kind of makes me feel silly for doubting them in the first place. Yeah. Looking back, you see that they were going to rely so much on Denver Barkey, so much on Easton Cowan, so much as a guy like Sam Dickinson on the back end, who's a really young player, rookie in the league. And you're like that, well, that that's a recipe for disaster. Brett Brochu either has to carry them or they're not going to be able to do it. And they weren't able to, or they were able to do it. And they, managed to have a really really good season get all the way to the, the eastern conference or the western conference final and they got a lead so it's going to be interesting to see what they do but let's move on to the last one because i think this is where we both kind of missed the boat yeah the last one we talked about a draft prospect that really excited us coming into the year someone that we were really excited to see play to see progress to to track and scout uh for the 2023 nhl draft and 
you and I both had very um, interesting selections. So yours was Ethan Miedema. And I'm kind of curious to hear your viewpoint as to sort of what went wrong there. Yeah, I think coming into the year, I was like, he's got size. He's got the the skill. He needs to work on his skating, obviously. But, man, this is a kid that could be a very high-producing player. And playing for a Windsor Spitfires team that was very good to start the year and kind of was good throughout the year and before getting traded, it was really interesting to see what he was going to do. He never quite found the ability to separate. And the skating really did hold him back. I think the skill was there and everything, but – he just couldn't quite figure it out. This is a guy that I think maybe fell down the draft. He's going to fall down the draft board quite a bit if he gets drafted. I know there are some people that think this maybe not be the year. Maybe comes back and has a good OA year and then gets drafted then. But man, Mima, he has skill. He's got some highlight reel goals on his on his resume. He just hasn't been able to put it all together at once. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see what he's going to be doing. The guy that you ta- you have listed here is Cam Allen, and that's a very good segue into the bigger profile of him. So why don't we just jump into the, the overall draft profile of him for this year's draft? Yeah, so he's our 2023 draft prospect of the week, and it's kind of fitting, right? We've got Cam Allen coming off a bronze at the U18s where he was the captain, and he played a lot. And I think you and I have sort of talked about – him kind of disappointing at that event and disappointing all year. And he's somebody that I just watch and I wonder like what happened compared to last year, right? Like I I loved Cam Allen as an OHL rookie. I thought he was one of the more impressive 16 year old defenders that, that we had seen come through the league in the last decade. And his Halinka Gretzky performance was, was terrific. And then the year starts, Wolf gets off to such a bad, bad start. And a lot of that had to do with with him and and some of the other players really not taking that step forward. And I think maybe just trying to do too much. Allen fell into some really bad habits. And I feel like a lot of those habits sort of just lingered over the course of the year. And I don't know if that just pointed to maybe an issue with with projection, right? Like he kept things simple as a, as a rookie and then we're asking him to do more and it's proof that maybe he's just not able to, right? Um, I think you and I have both been fairly critical of his decision-making with the puck, especially in the defensive end, right? And I think that his defensive game away from the puck improved a lot over the course of the year. I thought that he became more physical, which was definitely something he needed to do. I think that is a major positive. But I think there's so many other areas of his game where I'm like, what is Cam Allen now going to be at the pro level, right? Like, is he anything more than like a Taylor Chorney, somebody who is maybe like a depth guy at the NHL level and nothing more? Or is there a chance that Cam Allen can still be like an impact NHL defender, somebody like a Charlie McAvoy, which is like, a name that I saw a lot of people throwing around coming into the year, especially after the Lincoln Gretzky cup. And I think that was a comparison that was almost a little bit apt. I kind of agreed with it. And then now that's certainly not something that I would agree with. And I guess my question to you, Tony would be, where would you draft Cam Allen? Would you draft Cam Allen? Where would you draft him? Like, where do you think an appropriate slot is for him at this point, given the year that he had? 
this is going to sound kind of unfair, but I think I'd be able to find a defenseman I'd draft ahead of him just about anywhere in this draft, just based on the fact that I like at least until the mid rounds, because this is a guy that had 37 points as, as a rookie in the OHL last year, 13 goals, 24 assists, and then just imploded this year. I think we saw at the, the the world under 18s were really kind of a summation of his entire season. There were a couple good passes out of the uh, defensive zone, but so often he was turning to the puck over in high danger situations where the opposing team would just get a, a glorious chance and his offensive game just wasn't able to make up for that. And I think that's a big problem for him. I think he was more physical this year. He was focusing more on the defensive end of the ice. And I think that was a good thing to see, but yeah, up until round three or four, I'm probably not even considering Cam Allen because that's how big of a step back I think he took this year. His his ability with the puck, which was, in my opinion, the biggest strength coming into the year, became his biggest weakness because I just there wasn't a shift of, of Cam Allen that I watched this year pretty much where I went, oh no, something bad's about to happen. He just it kept happening. It kept happening and this is a guy that has the tools to be a really good offensive player. I think he's got a great shot when he penetrates the offensive zone and pushes into the high slot, he can be a goal scorer and defenseman. I think that's where he finds some value, but man was his year. Just, I think honestly, he might be the most disappointing draft prospect. Unfortunately, with that said, this is a guy that some team does get him in the fourth round. They could be getting a player that's as good as some of the first round defensemen. This Coming into the year, there was a lot of hype with this kid. There's a lot to like with this kid. Like you said, the Charlie McAvoy comparison wasn't for naught. Like there was a lot of things that you looked at with this kid and you went, that this could be a really solid NHL defenseman. This could be a guy that's worthy of a top 15 pick. And now you look at him with a top 50 pick and you start to worry. So I think just the big step back is always such a worry because does he take another step back next year? Does he plateau? Can he get back to that form? There's For me, there's just too many questions with a guy like this. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Uh, I, I would have a lot of time for him still outside of that like top 75. I think inside that, like you said, I would be able to find a defender that I like just a little bit better. But at the other end of the spectrum, I also kind of refuse to believe that he just kind of forgot how to play hockey. Like this is yeah. a player who looked so impressive last year. And puck management, I don't think, was an issue as a U16 player. I, I don't remember it being, at least to the extent that it, that it was an issue this year, right? And for whatever reason, it, it became an issue. And I'd be curious to hear his sort of mindset. I think how he interviews is going to really, really dictate where he goes in the draft. If he's able to identify with teams some of those next steps and really be honest and teams feel that he has a clear understanding of what he needs to do to get better. I do think that they're going to feel a lot more comfortable, but if he goes into those interviews and, you know, doesn't really identify some of those things that a lot of scouts were seeing, you know, I think that might be a major red flag, right? So um, yeah, uh, long story short, I would definitely still have time for him in that third round. Cause I do think that there is a chance that he can turn things around. We've seen it before with other defenders. And uh, I think that, it's too early to give up on a player that looked so talented coming into the year. Yeah, the talent is certainly there, but there are questions all over the place, like we both mentioned. So it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up on draft day. 
Let's move on to our final segment of the day, though. The NHL team of the week. It's the Washington Capitals this week, and they only have one prospect in the OHL, and that's Jake Carabella from the Guelph Storm. He had 18 goals and 21 assists for 39 points in 68 games this year. 26 points or 26 penalty minutes, sorry, and it was a minus 28. Obviously, not the step forward we'd hope to see, but this is a guy that I think both of us kind of liked going into last year. Yeah, I really thought Carabella would have a great season. Uh, I liked his speed. I, I think that was a weapon of his that I was really hoping that he would learn to harness and, and use more to his benefit and to his team's benefit. I think that he's a really good skater and I think he's still learning how to be a really good four checker, be somebody who's hard on pucks, be a leader in transition. And if those things come together, I think that there's still a very good chance that he could develop into a solid pro. But yeah. if they don't come together, uh, I think that he's somebody that, you know, maybe has plateaued and what we're seeing right now is, is what we're getting. And that probably means he doesn't end up getting signed, I, I would guess. But uh, very, very early in his development. And I still think that that he's going to have a good year next year and, and really improve on, on some things to, to be a better OHL player and better NHL prospect. Yeah, he's certainly an interesting prospect from a tools perspective. He's got it. A lot of good skill. He's a very good puck handler. He's got some speed, like you mentioned. His hand-eye coordination is pretty good. He tries a lot of things that I think should work when you have the skill level he does. They just don't quite connect, and I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Just refining some of the things he was trying this year. I think that Guelph team, as we mentioned when we were talking about Cam Allen, was not the best. They, they struggled throughout the year. He's a guy that I think you're not really going to know what you're going to get with him until he gets to the HL, until he kind of gets to that level of hockey. I think he's going to be a good bottom six guy if he makes it to the NHL. I think that's kind of where he he tracks. Is he ever going to be a top six scorer? Maybe not, but he, he could be one of those bottom six guys that has some of the the traits. He's a, a feisty guy, a guy that plays with energy. Is he a fourth-line guy that, that kind of – competes on a cup winning team that kind of does a lot of the dirty work and plays those, those big meaningful minutes kind of develops into a good penalty killer. I think that's kind of where his projection could be if he gets to the NHL, but it's certainly going to be a, a little bit of a journey for him. Yeah, I agree with you completely. That's sort of my projection for him as well. All right. We thank you very much for listening to this episode of THN on the O as always. We appreciate if you could like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcatcher you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, uh, Apple Music, or Google Play. We really appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next week when we hopefully review what teams are going to be in the OHL final.